Uh, that just threw me for a loop. <laughs> <laughs> Too much. Too much for you. <laughs> Note to self-redact that. <laughs> this is design school. It's actually pronounced Kenor. 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 Okay. All right, try that again. What? You didn't find the hard K? Kenor. Yeah. I don't, it's really weird. I don't know why we That's do it. That's perfectly fine. Yeah. Just like Kenny and Kenai <laughs> and everything else. Well, Matt Kenard, thank you for um, agreeing to be on our podcast. We uh, we appreciate your time today. Definitely, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so we usually t- liked to start off our podcast with the the first question coming from our previous um, interviewee, and that being Daniel Worthington, who nominated you, and you agreed. Okay, so. Daniel's first question was um, about your design process and being that the two of you had worked together uh, he was really interested in knowing in comparison to getting everything out and doing things at the high pace that you two are probably used to doing it how is it that you think about things and um, going from there so I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it to you to kind of open it to which direction you'd like to go with that about your design process. Okay. Um, how I usually start when I get a design request or a project or an outside client is really kind of finding who your audience is and how you want them to think and feel. And that's kind of the fundamental place that I start with is kind of knowing who we're going after and how we want to make them feel and think and influence them through a design and that's kind of our job now is to create something that a user will become engaged with and influenced by um So once you kind of have that framework of who your audience is and the messaging you're trying to get across, um, my kind of principle to stick with is keep the projects and the look and the feel of everything very simple. You know the the idiom, like, keep it simple, stupid, but (laughs) kind of going with that philosophy, which comes from most likely my background in architecture where things are very orthogonal and set up on a grid and you're you know where to look it's clean you use white space well really shaping the page the website whatever the project is in getting your core audience to kind of look at the right things or influence them to make the right decision is usually to click and learn more <laughs> or purchase or whatever it might be. And do you feel that your studies in architecture have helped influence or have helped hinder that process for you? I think it has definitely helped. Architecture is notorious for these straight lines and very clean, crisp look. I do a lot of print design work and marketing materials. A person's psychology when you look at something you kind of look for these you look for a line and your eye knows where to look whether it's down a page across a page even if there's not a line on the page you kind of inherently know how to follow a grid so a lot of my design work 
both in architecture school and in professional design, this grid element becomes very important to me to make sure people know what to do and where to look and mm. what to read. What did that transition from studying architecture and then now you do uh, more visual graphic design work, how did that transition happen? Uh, or like, what was that journey like for you? It was a long journey, I guess, <laughs> because we work endless hours in architecture school and you kind mm -hmm. of have this kind of grand vision of becoming an architect, but something really clicked along the way where these principles of design that you use in architecture school, whether it's photography, whether it's typography, whether it's iconography, like mm -hmm. all these things are very important in architecture and you kind of, you're, you're not aware of it because you're like, oh, I'm doing architecture, I'm doing these drawings and plans and everything. Yeah. But you're really also becoming a designer as well. So when I graduated, I was thinking long and hard about, do I want to do this? What am I good at? What am I interested in? And it kept leading back to the more visual design elements mm -hmm. of architecture and the components of it. And I think I just kept trying to work my way into design projects. And the more I did it, you kind of have to keep, keep working, keep working, keep learning. And here I am now. And how long have you been here? So I graduated three and a half years <coughs> ago and I've, been doing graphic design since then. I've been freelancing. I've had three different full-time jobs and I've now at Simply Measured and I've been here for a year and a quarter. And I've noticed that you have a affinity for sports and one of your jobs was with the Seattle Storm. Yes. Is that right? How is the um, your relationship between sports and and design uh, defined for you? I think that's like the starting point of <laughs> kind of this passion was I graduated and I really wanted to kind of work in athletics. I've surrounded myself with sports my entire life whether as a fan or playing or working out or whatever it might be but um, you kind of you find these what you're really passionate about and you try to incorporate those into your work. And for me, it was design and sports. And the position for the Seattle Storm, the women's basketball team in Seattle, opened up as the graphic designer. And I was like, this is gonna be awesome. It was in the midst of the Sacramento Kings selling their team and the whole Chris Hansen talk about the Sonics might be coming back. And I was like, this is gonna be like, the best opportunity. I'm going to get my foot in the door. The Sonics are going to come back. That deal didn't go through. So I stayed at the storm and I kept working. And it's just working in professional sports is an amazing experience because that's where you, as a designer, can really affect the interaction with the team, with the fans, with the messaging that we're trying to portray. I did a lot of rebranding for the storm we did the huge billboards when you drive down 99 or i-5 and there's kind of these grandiose projects that i got to touch as a designer there and it's just it's really cool to see the the kids and the families and the fans at the games kind of 
appreciate that and interact with it. And here at Simply Measured, I've continued that. We do a lot of infographics. We did like a World Cup recap last summer that was amazing. I'm, I'm bringing this passion and love for sports and design, and we're now applying it to social media and all the data that we have here and kind of reshaping especially what the Seahawks are doing in their social space. Mm-hmm. How do those projects come about? I mean, is it something you have to convince your colleagues to do, or is it just like an open enough space um, where they're open for... S- <laughs> I don't know how to best to like frame it. We, we get a lot of requests for projects, but we also kind of, as the design team, we're like, oh, we have this event whether we like we've done stuff for the oscars before we've done stuff for specific customers before and it's really like what what do we find compelling both visually and statistically and then also what what would like resonate with our own audience and get them to share it and get kind of that more traction for simply measured as a brand to kind of we're, we're, we have all this information at our fingertips and we have these amazing re, like resources. Now let's go make really cool stuff and share it with the world. And that's part of what I do. And it's part of like as marketing, as a team, what we do. Yeah. So then what ultimately made you decide to make that transition from sports and make your way into Simply Measured? And what was that appeal for you? Part of it, started when the Sonics weren't coming back. It was just yeah. kind of this humbling reality where it's like, oh, that yeah. that dream's no longer like going to be able to turn into a reality. Um, but I'm also very interested in kind of the startup culture. I'm always kind of envisioning products of my own or kind of dabbling in startup life. And I, as a 24 year old back then it's like I, I just want to be part of it you know I want to see how things work how it instead of my own mind and my own vision or like the skewed perception that we see on Shark Tank yeah like what is a startup actually like and I was talking to one of my friends here at Simply Measured and she was like hey we have a designer opening like you would be a great fit you'd love it here and I instantly jumped on and mm-hmm. haven't looked back what was it that appealed to you um, of that position? I, th- I think it's really just being a part of something that's growing. You kind of, you get to leave your own imprint on the space and the company. And especially as the designer here, like my, my job is really to shape the first impression that we put out into a marketplace. And when we're a big player in the social analytics space, like this is a, important thing to kind of influence the audience and really like understand who they are what is appealing to them and what would make them take that second or third or fourth look at us Mm -hmm. and some of the projects that i've been a part of here have in my opinion really influenced our customer base and people kind of our reputation and they, they, they're now looking at our posts on social media or on our blog or the infographics that we put out and they're becoming intrigued by 
the overall design. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, if they can do that for X customer, what could they do for us? Mm-hmm. And the design is a really key player, in my opinion, on kind of getting that initial attraction. Taking that idea and what Daniel was talking about before, you had mentioned um, with working for um, The Storm that you had a chance to touch on a lot of different projects. And the idea of touch um, applies kind of a gentle pressing upon as opposed to something a little bit more aggressive. Um, Do you feel that your design is a bit more subtle and a bit more it's not as aggressive as perhaps something that could be out there in social media that's got a lot of bells and whistles and whiz bang but really relies upon analytical data and, and information to go upon it. When I was preparing for this podcast and thinking about my design philosophy and my principles, there was a quote that resonated a lot with me, and I wrote it down, and it was, good design is obvious, but great design is transparent. That's really core to kind of how I do my work, where you mentioned like the touch is kind of soft and gentle, where you don't need to be loud and in your face and calling attention to yourself as a designer you have the chance to kind of be in the background and influence those subconscious Mm -hmm. attractions to a product or a site or an ad or whatever they might be and if it's done well that's where really good design Mm -hmm. turns into something and did you find that um was a principle that you learned through architecture or was that something that you've learned Mm -hmm. as you've gone through to being a designer I would say both. Um, I mean, there's definitely some architecture being done that's very gaudy and in your face, and some of it's amazing and respected. And then there's architecture that you look at, and it's crisp and clean, and it stands by itself as like a just gorgeous piece of art. It's an interesting way to look at architecture as being an art and then kind of applying those clean aesthetics to design has kind of definitely been a core influence on how I see my work and mm-hmm. how I approach a project. I, I love the idea of an architect becoming a designer and a designer perhaps becoming an architect. Um, what are the first steps that you would say? What would be the opposite of studying design and going into architecture? What would that look like, do you imagine? I, th- I think both fields complement each other amazingly Um, and when I was studying architecture we had a lot of classes where we interacted with the kids in their master's programs and they come from all shapes and sizes every background whether it was biology or psychology or fine art you name it Mm -hmm. when you're kind of pursuing architecture it's just the same as design it's kind of this internal drive the the way you see the world is a little bit different and you acknowledge that and then you go after it Mm -hmm. and those were some of the most amazing students to be in our classes um were the ones with the really rich backgrounds whereas i mean not to say the the ones who studied architecture in undergrad and then architecture in grad school were worse at it they were probably the better 
designers and had the cleaner drawings and everything, but the ones who came from a different background, be it graphic design, be it video production, whatever it might be, were always brought this kind of like new element to the table and it blew you away too. I, I remember this guy, Ben, brought in like the most amazing project I've seen. It came all from his past. And then you apply your new skills to it, which is similar to how I'm now doing my design work. Uh, I'm taking kind of the, the core that was built up in me and now applying it out in a different field. And that's not to say I'm giving up on architecture either. Maybe I'll be a graphic designer for an architecture firm or maybe I'll go back to grad school one day. I'm not, I'm not gonna limit those things but to kind of get the most out of design, I, I realized that I needed to branch off and go explore this new interesting territory for myself. So you've mentioned being able to come up with those really like big, interesting ideas and staying fresh and things like that. What, what are things that you do um, when you think about like your day-to-day -day and when you're approaching new projects or whether that be at work or for fun? What are those things... Um, that you look to or rituals you've come up with or whatever that keep you inspired? So one of the, this is like a huge component of my life right now because I want to get better at being a designer and I want to mm -hmm. learn more and branch out and really kind of gearing in on those, the inspirations is key. But what I've realized is I spend so much time being inspired mm -hmm. that I that I'm not spending the time like creating things and now that's the gap that I'm at where instead of spending like an hour on a like on the web looking at all these awesome designs that other people are doing it's like okay I'm gonna sit down when I get home from work and like really try to push out my own designs and it's a, it's a really hard thing for someone to overcome as a young ambitious designer is having the confidence to put your own stuff out into the world and publish your stuff it's really it's easy to kind of like sit back and dream and look at things online and kind of oh that that's really cool oh look at that drawing look at that photograph um which is i mean i'll be the first to admit i do a lot of that <laughs> um but for all kind of young designers it's really finding the confidence to take that next step and put out your own work into the world. And that's really how you grow, Yeah, in my opinion. It's how you grow and you learn and you find out what works, what doesn't, and you fail miserably at times, which I've done, and <laughs> then you go from there. Oh, we, we all have been in that road many a time since some of us stay in that road. <laughs> I don't know if you saw uh, our podcast is actually on a on a site that again another project that chad and i had started called fail with me um with this idea that failure is the the sign of of success is that you you try and try again and you, you'll find a way for it to work and you learn by the things that you've done as opposed to just it getting right serendipitously at the end absolutely of the day. i couldn't agree more and i'm totally afraid to fail i want things to be kind of perfect and clean and like fully mm -hmm. thought out and finished and then it's getting over that hump and realizing mm -hmm. that it's okay to fail like mm -hmm. it's encouraged to fail just keep producing stuff and you'll get better and you'll learn as you go that's literally where i'm at like i've spent 
the last year and a half putting out finished products and it's like wait like let's let's spend some more time on my weekends or on my nights doing individual projects and getting better at stuff i'm really interested in typography now i, I never really learned it and now it's like okay let's play with type like really study it rather than just kind of assuming that you know what it is I noticed that one of your projects on your website was the ugly sweater. Yeah. <laughs> would you consider that a failure or would you consider that a success? Uh, I would consider that a, <laughs> a huge failure, but also a pretty cool success story. Mm -hmm. um, Can you walk us through what the project was? So one of my coworkers at Simply Measured walked into the office one day wearing a, an ugly Christmas sweater of her college. And it was one of the funniest, most interesting things I've seen. And I was like, I want one of those. <laughs> I want one for the University of Washington or I want one for the Seahawks. And I kind of went online and I typed in like Seattle Seahawks ugly Christmas sweater and it goes to the NFL shop. And I was like, I want to make my own. And in the process, I might have overlooked some key elements <laughs> um but that wasn't to say that it was fun to kind of like actually design something i talked to vendors i built the website and i put the product up mm -hmm. sent out emails to my friends and coworkers, and one of my friends posted the link to their own facebook page and people started sharing it and it got all this momentum and after like a day and a half I'd sold almost 80 shirts wow. which is which was far exceeded any expectation <laughs> and then of course I might have overlooked some copyright stuff and couldn't use the word Seahawks or couldn't use the University of Washington W logo which I now know but the kind of learning experience that you get from failing miserably like that is mm -hmm that's that's almost better yeah because it'll make me kind of take that extra care and thought into preparing the next article of clothing that mm -hmm. i launch or the next the next project prod that's out there. product that i make or yeah. whatever it might be is really kind of being a little bit more careful mm -hmm. or just not using sports logos <laughs> <laughs> well it seems to be quite a bit of your dna you know your twitter feed is pretty much nothing but sports but taking that idea, that, that, that is an idea that is hard learned with not only just a, um, an experience, like doing the ugly sweaters, but one that, if learned early, helps to really uh, exponentially grow a designer. Do you think that there is a way in which students still in school could learn that failure is an important part of the design process? Absolutely. There's there's no better way build up that thick skin and flesh out a, a, a concept than turning it into a reality. Sometimes as designers, we get caught up in our own heads where it's, we think this is great. We think this is the perfect project. We think this is the perfect solution to a problem. And then we put it out into the world and it was like, oh, wait, this wasn't as great as I thought or you hit the nail on the head and you're like this was amazing and you kind of build that self-esteem and confidence that you need as a designer um, and especially as a student just kind of putting your work out into the world is 
that's very key, whether it's someone else might like it. We all have our own kind of sense of style and there's going to be maybe your professor doesn't like it or maybe your friends don't like it, but there's other people in the world who will love it. And that's why sites like Etsy or Society6 do so well is there's this kind of unique energy to design that people all over the world will latch on to something if it's a great product or solution for them. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that was like one question I had was just um, when we're talking about students being able to share their work with the world, uh, you've mentioned uh, sites like Etsy and things like that, but uh, what are there, are there any other routes that you would suggest to share their work with the world? I'm not the most versed in this because I'm in yeah. the similar boat where I, I hold on to my projects and I don't share them as much as I should. And now I'm kind of learning to get over that hump. And the hump is really like as soon as you post something online, your name's attached to it. And mm -hmm. like you guys did where you're searching for Matt Knorr and you see what comes up online if I'm putting out all these half finished projects like do I want to be doing that and the answer is really yes you want to like be putting stuff out it's just getting over the hump of like yeah. this is that's why like a blog having a personal blog is very important because they know that it's you're working through your design sense and style you're kind of creating your own stuff and I'm building my own website right now and hopefully a blog and everything that will kind of come with it and that's where those the, the the projects that are in the back of your mind kind of get flushed out and you share them and they maybe they turn into a bigger project or maybe someone else jumps on it there's a designer named matt stevens who i was on some like designinspiration.net website and saw his his project come up and I was just like blown away. I was like, this is amazing. I need it. Went to his website, like bought the 24 by 36 print of it. And um, the then you kind of like see his store, you see all his projects, and then you click on his blog. And I was really impressed by this is it's kind of the half-baked ideas, kind of the sketches or... It's the peek behind the curtain. Yeah, the really like how he's creating stuff and where his ideas are coming from and that hit home with me as a designer too is really wanting to kind of share more with the world and I do a bunch of projects and my sketchbooks are filled with stuff it's just now finding the time and the energy to kind of put them out mm -hmm. but yeah I'm I'm right there with the students learning where to post them or how to get the traffic that mm -hmm. you want or how to get them seen and I don't have an answer for that it's just knowing that those are the, the steps to take. Mm -hmm. You had mentioned that you have sketchbooks full of, of ideas. Have you ever just thought about taking a photo of the sketchbook, you know, a page a day and posting it to your to your blog and writing about it? Or Definitely. I think you, you see a lot of people sharing their sketches and ideas. Um, it's really funny we'll go to meetings here in our office and there's sales and marketing and social media teams and everyone kind of comes into this meeting typing away on their laptops and I'm here with a, my sketchbook like drawing and 
writing everything down and I'm I have like six of them <laughs> that I go through and finish up or uh, recently got a new one but just being able to kind of have that tangible drawing and note-taking and kind of forming the ideas is really important to me and I learned that through sketching constantly in architecture school and now kind of sketching as people give a PowerPoint presentation and kind of re reshaping the slides or whatever it might be. Um, I the, the projects that are most captivating to me online or it's the, the ones that it's like a design challenge a day, like do something, a sketch, a drawing, draw your breakfast, draw your cup of coffee in your sketchbook, do it every day. Do I do it? No, absolutely not. <laughs> do I want to do it? I would love to. But like you said, where it's like, take a photo of your sketchbook every day and post it online. And that's, and then all of a sudden you're kind of aware or do an illustration in uh, Illustrator every day and get better or do a, find a word and work on typography once a day every day. And that's really how you like grow and get re a better at all the kind of areas that you're maybe a little weaker in and I can say it but do I actually do it and now that's kind of finding the the motivation and the desire to create more and that's really where my energy is being focused now like when you're creative all day every day for five days a week six days a week seven days a week it's hard to kind of continue to be creative when you go home you kind of just want to kick back relax watch sports tweet about sports whatever <laughs> it might be um but really finding because it's it's easier to have the time you there's there's time you can wake up earlier or skip watching basketball on saturday night which i've been doing lately which is i'm like patting myself on the back <laughs> but um really it's more about the energy it's hard to be that creative and kind of find the new ideas mm -hmm. and that's really where the sketchbook comes into play and you kind of you give yourself a project to work on mm -hmm. whether it's sketch your sketch something every day for mm -hmm. you know we we, we um <clears throat> excuse me it's one of the things that I try to encourage students to do is, is to sketch. And I've seen in the last couple of years sketching become one of these vital components of, of design education is that they, not that it wasn't before, but students are actually more interested in sketching on their own than having an assignment that they have to sketch. Can you describe, because I'm looking at your sketchbook there, can you describe both the type of sketchbook that you use, how do you pick the sketchbook, and how do you how do you make it part of your everyday regimen? So all through college, in my architecture classes, I used the moleskin ones, clean, no lines on the page. You could really like draw everywhere. Um, I filled up countless ones of those, both with writing, because a sketchbook isn't always just for sketching. You don't have to fill every page with drawing. You can you can write 
you can take notes you can like there's more like when you say a sketch like this sketchbook right here is almost all handwriting but it's work it's working through design problems and as soon as you're starting to pour stuff on the paper and give the adjectives that you kind of want your designs to feel and then you go back to your computer and hash it out and um a lot of my sketchbooks are filled with that. It's just kind of my internal dialogue that I put out onto paper because that's really important for me to look back to, whether it's the next day or the next week. Um, I Now that I'm working, my sketchbooks have totally changed because for that task, it's more about like sitting in a meeting and talking about the next design project that I'm going to be working on and talking to one of my coworkers and flushing out the idea. So I'm not sitting there like drawing pretty pictures. It's more just really like getting stuff onto paper. Um, recently bought a sketchbook from Kickstarter and stoked to use it. It's a Spark Notebook. Spark Notebook, okay. It's from Seattle, really cool. And I don't wanna like plug the, the no, sketchbook by all means if it's a good sketchbook but what what she did and it raised a ton of money on kickstarter it's finished now and they're shipped but what she did is she took this kind of designer's mentality to a sketchbook um where the pages are it's not a planner but they're kind of these these weekly daily blank spaces for you to write and sketch and draw on and set goals on and kind of follow up tasks and everything that makes it a little bit more user friendly and designer friendly, which is why I love it and bought multiple of them. So we'll see. Mm -hmm. I haven't started using it yet. <laughs> is that the one that's sitting right there? No. Oh. This one's it's called an action journal. It's made by Behance, which is like the designer mm -hmm. website. Um, and this one has like the the dotted it's like all dotted on the mm. page so you know where your lines are at but it's not a lined piece of paper so it kind of gives you a little bit more freedom on the page which is i i love unruled paper unlined paper because mm -hmm. then you can draw wherever and yeah you're not bound by these <laughs> the constraints of the little blue line how interesting that an architect doesn't like to be bounded by <laughs> my guides. True. What do you do once a sketchbook is full? I keep all of them. Uh -huh. And it, it'll be really interesting to kind of look back on. Because I've been to Europe twice and I took sketchbooks with me. And uh, occasionally I'll look back and like go through them. And it's crazy to see what, what I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same can be applied to my work sketchbooks where I have two of them in front of me and a third in my backpack and they're all kind of organized by the projects and the time of what I'm working on so and then there's also my little like random thoughts that I'll write down that I kind of it's nice to go back and look at and be like oh I was I was supposed to work on this what like over the weekend and I never got to it let's get back to it yeah and I've I'm seeing more and more smaller. Um, I think there's kind of a you get, you're satisfied when you fill up a notebook, 
and then you can kind of like put it on your shelf and uh, when they're smaller like this it's a little bit easier the the bigger ones are kind of laborious to get through and people are a little intimidated by blank pages and you just kind of have to keep going keep going and when they're smaller you get through them you can date it you can do whatever you want and put it away and then you get another one yeah I I would rather have the kind of the smaller notebooks mm. for that reason. Cool. I think that um, sketchbooks, especially you know the the evolution of of the way that I've seen sketchbooks over the last twenty years of being a student and then teaching students, has been from it being the very large eight by eleven or large size to really conceptualize and uh, a thorough uh, sketch whether it be um, some sort of memorization or uh, some sort of inspiration from something that you're looking at to something a lot smaller like you said that's more of a um, you know look at the quote that you uh, an internal dialogue that you're writing things out and and what have you the uh, interesting thing for me of using a sketchbook is I'm left-handed, and so a lot of sketchbooks, especially because I really like thicker books, uh, once you get to the middle or close to the middle, it's harder to write in, so I will flip the sketchbook and ah. actually use it more of the spine at the top and um, forget what the, the style of that is called. Do you, do you remember what it's called? No. But anyways, I, I use it more like a <laughs> um, more of a landscape than portrait. Yeah. And I find it interesting because it looks like I'm hiding something as I'm writing in them, <laughs> like this. <laughs> top secret sketchbook. Yes, top secret. It's like a Da Vinci Code sketchbook. I, I took a course two weeks ago by John Bell, who's like one of the lead designers at Twitter, and he recommended, he's actually the one who gave us this sketchbook, and he recommends, like, keep it on you at all times. Mm -hmm. And when they're, they're smaller, they're a little bit easier to carry, and you can write down whatever inspires you or start drawing and that's really that's going back to what we were talking about earlier it's like the more you do the better you're going to get at it easier to say than actually like execute but and how long have you been doing this um, working on it I, I kept them a lot through college mm -hmm. um, and then as a professional when you're working mm -hmm. it's it kind of goes away like when you're in school it's kind of part of your habit you keep your backpack you keep them in there but mm -hmm. um i've i've been getting back into it in the last year um really just finding this internal motivation to get better mm -hmm. is what it boils down to i really wish this would be the part where we could you know cut to your home and look at the first sketchbook <laughs> that you have on the shelf and see what it says you know there's a lot of them. Dear dear Matt, never give up. Some of them are probably like half full, and then I bought another one or forgot that I had it or mm -hmm. misplaced it or whatnot. But yeah. uh, there's, a, there's definitely a lot. Have you looked back at any of the old ones? I think Chad asked this question. Yeah, yeah. But have you, have you looked back for inspiration of an idea that you had that you can now flush out because you've, you've I would, matured? I, I haven't done that specifically but i'm looking forward to doing it mm -hmm. um this is kind of re helping me realize to kind of it, the journey to go back and look at it and how fun that would be um i remember my first job out of college i didn't keep a sketchbook with me but i had a bunch of those little post-it notes mm -hmm. 
and I would literally just like start drawing and writing and taking notes at 7.30 in the morning about like w what my dream was the night before, like what m what ins inspired me the night before, this new kind of like company that I thought I could start or product that I could launch. And there's, I had a drawer full of these little post-it notes and I was like, okay, I need to like get back to the sketchbook <laughs> idea. This isn't working out as well. But I did go back and look at those and 90% of them were comical and got thrown mm -hmm. away. Yeah. <laughs> Chad, do you keep a sketchbook? I keep a notebook most usually. I'm yeah. not a big sketcher. Yeah, I'm I'm not too much in words. Yeah, I'm I'm not either, but I love being able to pull it down and I don't know when it must have been in the last 5 6 years where I've decided that I was going to, to get rid of the sketchbook altogether and become much more digitally um, reliant and there are days where I really do miss it especially since when I travel I always buy myself a pen to kind of remember the the trip or, or what have you and it's hard to write with a pen when you don't have paper around <laughs> you <laughs> I should I should really get back to I, I think it's difficult to especially like take notes on my laptop. I would mm -hmm. rather handwrite it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then um, I, I don't really put it back into my computer. I just handwrite it and yeah. remember it that way. But yeah. I th being the tangible like experience is just a little bit more helpful for me. Yeah. And uh, to your point, I don't use sketchbooks to do like fascinating drawings and most mm -hmm. of the time it's really to just flush out mm -hmm. ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I also have this romantic like I think I romanticize sketching too much because I've noticed since I got an iPad that I'm all about the styluses. Oh. You know, I don't know how much digital sketching you've tried to do or if you've done that at all. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> Zero. It's interesting because that, that was the one thing I was really excited about when I got an iPad. I was like, oh, I'm going to like sketch more and do this. And I got the paper stylus and tried that out for a while. And then one of my friends gave me the Adobe stylus thing. And then after about a week, it ends up just kind of sitting there mm. because I don't carry my iPad around with me all the time. It goes back to having something on you that's just easily accessible. And I think paper and pen is still the easiest. But I, I think it's experiential too. I think you kind of Very much lose so, yeah. a little bit of the quality when you're mm -hmm. using the stylus or the iPad. And I, yeah. I don't do it that often enough to critique it, but yeah. the, the tangible physical brain dump mm -hmm. is sometimes nice to have yeah and and there's something um beautiful about also the construction of it and you know the the two sketchbooks that you have um and then the one that we were just looking at uh, online looking at those you know they're, they're beautiful pieces of artwork themselves and being able to interact with them uh, reminds me a lot of of a design process of you know the the concept of, of designing something that is functional that is useful to a user at the end of the day is going to be much more enjoyable for that that user to have an experience with and for you to, to appreciate that someone out there is enjoying that product or someone out there is enjoying that concept that you developed absolutely that kind of ties it all back to 
the first question you asked me about like a design principle and it's really know your users know your audience know what will resonate with them and when you execute that well everyone wins and going back to the spark notebook like i saw it on kickstarter instantly put my credit card information down bought one was blown away and then i emailed the lady who's doing them and i was like i've needed this for so long thank you for doing it like this is amazing and that's kind of the the reaction that you want to get your audience to whether it's rewarding them or making them take action to purchase yeah wow and that's that's kind of where my brain like wants to go i think that like dreaming up a product putting it out to the world like that's really when designs kind of turning into a little bit more than an illustration on a screen or a banner ad on a website is creating products for people or shirts for people or there's there's more to design we kind of limit ourselves a little bit when we talk about design but it really encompasses so much more Mm -hmm. and why do you want to create something do something i think it's fascinating to execute on an idea is it's easier to come up with an idea but really the process of executing it and going from start to finish and attaching your name to a product is that's really that's ultimately rewarding and hopefully you get the feedback from your user base and build your reputation and then all of a sudden you start designing more going back to matt stevens whose website i went to and instantly bought artwork like now i'm continue to revisit his page over and over to kind of like see his process see what the next project he's working on and just you kind of you find those inspirations and that's when you like in my mind he's made it he's a designer i'm still like trying to get there you know so once you kind of have role models and inspiration is when you can start doing better work yeah and who before that before you found Matt Stevens, who was it that you were looking at? What, what were some of the, using the website, design inspirations, d- design inspirations uh, that you had out there um, three years ago when you were in school? Mostly just like scrolling through Behance and other websites that anyone can upload their work to. There's a website, Society6, where you can upload your artwork and then they put it on iPhone cases or laptop cases Mm -hmm. or grocery tote bags and even stuff like that is amazing and it's whether it's a photograph or illustration anyone can upload and you kind of you start scrolling through those websites and you're like wow look at all these people creating amazing work I want to be part of that and now it's getting to that stage which is the next step Mm -hmm. Um, but specific people i i'm more general i i don't really i don't know the the names of the individuals but just going through behance or design inspirations or other whatever the websites might be um is that that really is how you find cool work but it's you can you can spend all day on those sites you don't want to get sucked in yeah 
and I've spent hours hours on those sites and now it's more about like okay I've learned enough from other people let's apply mm-hmm. it to my own world and myself yeah I was gonna say that's one thing I've learned over the years doing the same the same exact thing is, is at one point you come to this realization that you can do those things but it almost doing it with more purpose and like something in mind and then um at some point you realize like yeah let's go turn this into something of my own mm-hmm. i think that's what you have always been for me <laughs> <laughs> that sounds sounds like a bromance uh, movie at the beginning uh, is that you've always been the the kick in the ass that has pushed me to do the podcast to do you know whatever it is is that um, i've got great ideas but executing them eh, maybe maybe not you, you had asked us at the beginning how did we get started with this and i had the, the short answer is chad made me do it <laughs> 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 and it's as simple as that is that sometimes you just need someone um to, to just say do it do exactly it. Yeah. and now you you've built something and you're turning oh. you're we're being creative in a totally different meaning of the word like mm-hmm. we're not you're not drawing but you're still executing this kind of vision that you had and yeah. speaking or writing or like i watched uh, birdman and like that was literally some of the best like mm-hmm. film making i've ever seen in my life mm-hmm. and that can be inspiring it doesn't have to necessarily just be a website or a blog mm-hmm. you as long as you're paying attention you can find that inspiration in a hundred different places I don't know, we might be getting off topic, but that's like, th- there's these qualities to creating something mm-hmm. that you don't always have to follow the same structure as whoever came before you. You really find your own voice mm-hmm. and apply that to your work. Yeah. Hope what I'm trying to do and learn to do better. Yeah. Do you have any questions for us? We, we sometimes forget to ask. <laughs> Is there anything that you would like to know from us? I talked a little bit about inspirations and stuff like that, and I think that's key right now in my own life and just trying to find my footing and what what direction I want to go in and what's really like the look and my style. Um, What's inspired you guys along your way? Um, I've been really interested in this notion of... um, trying to find the who are going to be the most influential influential designers of our generation and uh it's interesting because the design field is diversified so much in those amount of times right and so you look back in history and there's the the milton glazers and um uh you know right now we have you know the michael Beiruts and the debbie millmans and things like that but who are the who are the people who are up and coming and for me, it's those people who somehow find a way uh, to balance design with some unique thing that they absolutely love to do, and they s- somehow mash it together really well. Um, for those people, for me, it's like Frank Quimero, who um, mashes together design and writing really well together, and he launched his first book via Kickstarter, um, and he just writes about design in a way that nobody else I've ever read has. Um, and then there's people like Nicholas Felton, who 
is all about um, data visualization and he tracks all of it and um, everything he makes is beautiful, right? Um, and it's just so detailed down to a T. And so for me, it's just finding those people um, and, you know, figuring out how one day I could, <laughs> like, what is it that I'm, you know, just as interested in that I could do something with design that is just as amazing, you know? And to me, that's inspiring. That and following Chad. <laughs> hmm? Chad is the awesome one in the family. No, <laughs> in our little family of two. Yeah. <laughs> I think being inspired by what people do as well, you know. Um, uh, so yeah. Well, we have um, one of one of two last questions. Um, at the end of every episode, we always ask, um, "Who would you want to hear from?" Meaning, who should we talk to next? So, I think. One of my really good friends, Ryan Applegate, would be a great person to get in touch with. We went to college together, and similarly to me, he had a completely different path throughout undergrad and is now an amazingly talented designer. Mm -hmm. um, he works for Weber Shandwick and has just kind of blossomed and now it's like I, I'm just really curious to hear his journey and insights and everything along his the last three and a half four years that he's gone through yeah do you have a specific question you'd want us to ask him um the the question I'd want to hear from Ryan would be what is the tipping point that pushed you forward and made you want to pursue graphic design as a profession Well, Matt, thank you so much for uh, for participating, and uh, uh, I look look forward to seeing what you do in the future and buying something cool from your website. <laughs> well, thank you, guys. It's been awesome. Thank you.